Good morning. Please take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 22. We want to resume where we left off last time, Lord willing. You know, in the Old Testament, God gave specific instructions as to how the people of God were to come into his presence, were to worship. That's what the tabernacle was all about. In the outer court, anyone could come. But then as you move closer into his presence, only certain people could come, and they could only do so if they did certain things the way God had prescribed. They would move into where the priests had to wash before the la- with the labor. They had to offer sacrifice for themselves as well as for the people. And then they moved a little closer to the presence of God and entered the holy place. Only the priests could go here. But again, they had to be very sure that they were doing exactly what God told them to do. Then they moved into another place called the Holy of Holies. Only the high priest could go in there, and he could only go in once a year. In fact, he could only go in once for a lifetime as well. And it was one place that you had to be very careful that you did exactly what God said, otherwise God's judgment would come upon the person. We have the story of Aaron's sons offering what is called strange fire. And God killed them instantly. Because when we come into his presence, we must come the way that he himself has defined and not the way we choose to do. That is why you hear many times people says, you hear the song about the standing on holy ground when we speak about Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and so on. Well, as we come into this psalm today, Psalm 22, we're standing on holy ground. And I probably am a little bit more afraid and scared of preaching this message than my other messages I have preached. Because I want to be sure that it is preached accurately the way God has set it forth to be preached so I do not receive his judgment. I don't want you to be pulling me from this pulpit with the pieces cord tied to my feet the way they had to do the, the uh, high priests in those days when they were in there. So I want you to turn to Psalm 22. And I want you to take off your spiritual shoes as it were because really we're standing on holy ground. Now last time, we focused on the first 20 verses of this psalm, primarily from the historic perspective of David himself, rather than upon the prophetic aspect that focuses on Jesus Christ, our suffering servant, and our suffering Messiah. Now we did so in order to emphasize the tremendous message on prayer that is often overlooked in the study of this psalm. We emphasize that even though it was David who actually experienced the events described sometime in his life, we don't know when, but he did, but these events were also a prototype of the experiences of Jesus Christ on the cross. So actuality, it is Jesus who is modeling and teaching us the prayer of faith that is demonstrated here. And the core of that message, the essence of that message taught by Jesus on the cross is that we should pray with faith in God to deliver us, no matter how desperate or painful the situation may be, or how long we have to wait for an answer. Even to the very last moment, 
and it seems that we are at the absolute end of our rope, we are to continue to call out to God in faith. Jesus himself on the cross is the supreme fulfillment or antitype of this powerful lesson on prayer taught by David in Psalm 22. Verses 1 through 20 then present to us, both in the case of David himself and Jesus on the cross, the painful experience of feeling that God has abandoned us in spite of our persistent prayer and the fact that we have been as faithful to him as we possibly could be. This awful experience is expressed in the opening verses of the psalm when both David and Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. This is what we call a prayer of desperation. This is a cry of hopelessness, and it is repeated throughout the first 20 verses of this psalm. Listen, for instance, to verses 19 to 21, where after describing his suffering in detail in the previous verses, David once again makes his primary appeal and asks God to deliver him. But this time, David rejoices in that God has finally answered him. Here is verses 19 to 21. O Lord, do not stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. That is the theme of the first 20 verses of this psalm. Their cries and pleas of desperation because they are near death. Now, because of the graphic portrayal of both David's and Jesus' suffering, we normally do not go beyond these opening verses to get the true message of the psalm. We normally come to this psalm to reflect upon the suffering of Christ and especially on the apparent awful fact that Jesus was abandoned by God and that God turned his back on him when he bore the wrath for our sin. We normally just stop there, the first part of the psalm. However, while the suffering of Jesus is indeed graphically portrayed in this psalm, the overall message is not that God turned his back on his son and refused to hear his prayer. But in actual fact, the message is exactly the opposite. The message is that God did hear and did answer his son and raised him from the dead as a result. He did not save him from death, but he saved him through death. Now, when we focus only on the first part of the psalm, it's like, it's like us staying at the cross on Saturday night. We stand there on the cross and we stare at the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Rather than rejoicing at the empty, tave, at the empty, empty grave on Lord's Day morning. Psalm 22 gives us both perspective. Today, we want to look at this psalm from the perspective of the open grave rather than upon the suffering of the cross because that is the intended perspective of the psalmist as well as the divine author. That is what we call, from a homiletical point of view, the big idea of the psalm. 
It is to show that God did hear and answer the prayer of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the introductory remarks very quickly again. We did this last time, but I want to cover them again just to give the context. David is in the midst of his desperate situation. Now he's going to describe this in detail in these verses. But he deals with his doubts about God's care for him by remembering God's faithfulness to his forefathers as well as himself in the past. And although, in other words, although he's crying out in desperation as though God is not there, he's still reminding himself that God has answered the prayer of his forefathers and himself before. In other words, it isn't a total scene of hopelessness. God, David is still reflecting upon the goodness of God. In other words, since God apparently did not respond to his continual pleas for help, David asked God why he had forsaken him. That's the first two verses. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent. In other words, it's a continual thing. You're talking about praying always. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. But then David acknowledges that God is holy and has never betrayed his believing forefathers' trust in him in the past. Verse 3, But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. David is still reflecting upon the faithfulness of God. However, David felt absolutely humiliated and almost subhuman as he goes through his experience. Because people were mocking him for trusting a God who has obviously abandoned him. Notice what it says in verse 6. I am a worm, no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. Notice how the psalm opens with the word but. Shows contrast, a stark contrast. Forefathers trusted in you. You heard them, you answered. But here I am now. I've been crying out. I've been pleading before you day and night. But you seem so far away, you have abandoned me. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing that he delighted in him. In other words, since you trusted God so much, let that God answer. What's the matter? What's wrong with the God that you say you believe in? What a disappointing, humiliating experience that David has here. The God he trusts so much has let him down. Apparently has abandoned him. But David reminds God now that he had been his God since birth and that he had trusted him all his life. Look at verses 9 and 10. Thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breast. I was cast upon thee from, from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Now, prophetically speaking, this could also well be referring to the fact that the Bible tells us that Jesus was filled with the Spirit in Mary's womb. This could be referring to that right here as well. Remember, 
Jesus is actually consciously living out the psalm on the cross. He is consciously living out the psalm on the cross. We're going to focus on that in a moment. But now as we move on in the passage, David kept asking God for deliverance from his troubles until he finally got an answer. Look at verse 11. Do not stay so far from me. He feels distant from God. For trouble is near and no one else can help me. The idea is that, hey, if there's anyone can help me at all, it is only you. And you are the one who is far away from me. In Jesus' case now, this could be a reflection of his prayer in Gethsemane. You remember when he cried out, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but let thy will be done. That's what, David is, that's what Jesus has experienced right here. The question of verse 1, in other words, now becomes a prayer. However, it's a sign of faith, not a sign of fear. Notice very carefully, David asked for nearness and rescue by God. In other words, he wanted to feel the presence of God even in his desperate situation. He just wanted to feel the presence of God. But then he goes on to describe the depth of the danger he's experiencing in verses 12 through 18. Remember now, Jesus is living this out as he is dying on the cross. Jesus is actually experiencing these words. His enemies surround him are like strong, ravenous animals and beasts. Notice verse 12. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hemmed me in. They say that the bulls, the cattle that lived in this particular area of the land of Bashan were huge. They were big. I won't get into this, but some people believe that's the area where the giants, you know, the, the, the ones that came from the, uh, they claim the mating of the sons of God, the angels with the, with the women and so on. And these giant-sized people were produced. This is the area. These were huge animals. This was a, giving a feeling of helplessness here. Fierce bulls of Bashan have hem, held me in. Like lions, they opened their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. And David knew about lions tearing into the prey of animals because he even fought one, it is told, in scriptures and killed a lion who came after his sheep. But then David describes his terrible physical suffering in verses 14 through 15. My life is poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like a sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. Jesus feels absolutely abandoned. You have left me for dead. This is a clear description of the death of Jesus on the cross, showing that Psalm 22 goes beyond the experiences of David to the one who is greater than David, Jesus Christ himself. So I say David is describing both his and Jesus' emotional and physical suffering by evil men who acted like wild beasts. And both are at the very point of death. They feel that God has abandoned them. But then David goes on in verses 16 through 18 to describe his helplessness 
as he was being mistreated by his vicious enemies. But again, he goes beyond his own experience to that of Jesus Christ. But he still feels it himself. Notice verse 16. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closed in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garment among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. We know this is speaking of Jesus Christ. We know this is the psalm that Jesus is thinking about on the cross. In fact, he's not only thinking about it, he is experiencing what he is reading. He is fulfilling what was prophesied by David. He's actually filling out the portrayal by David in this psalm. But then in verse 19, in the next section, David once again asks God to deliver him. But this time, because we're going to see, God does answer him. But notice verses 19 to 21st. Oh Lord, do not stay far away. Notice he's feeling distance from God. He's been abandoned. He's been left. He feels that way. You are my strength. He wants strength. Where is that strength? It's only in God and God is nowhere to be found. Come quickly to my aid. He's at the point of death. If you're going to do anything, God, you've got to do it now. Have you ever felt that way in your prayer? That if God didn't answer you, just had no hope? Actually, I'm going through something, experiencing that like right now. I felt the other day, if God didn't answer me yesterday, I wouldn't be around. But you know what? I am. But you come to a point, you feel that, hey, if God doesn't answer today, that's the end of it. David is teaching us to hear in this psalm that we are to pray even when we feel that way, but not pray with a sense of desperation, but with a sense of hope. And notice... Having described his helplessness now in these verses and his total loss of strength, in other words, he cannot help himself. If there's any way out of this, someone else has got to do it and it's only God who can do it. And so he calls on God, his strength to help him. He's on the brink of death. Notice he says, come quickly, come quickly. And he petitions God to save him. Now we come to verse 21. And this is an extremely crucial verse. Here in this text. Unfortunately it has been translated. And interpreted accurately. In some of our versions. And it changes the entire tone. Of the message of the psalm. When we interpret it correctly. Now I don't have the time to discuss. All of the technicalities. Of the languages here. To show you why. This has to be translated. In a certain way that we're going to go. So just let me quote the verses. From several translations. To show you the difference. First of all, verse 21 from the New International Version. I'll read verse 20 for connection. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. Notice verse 21. It's still in the form of a prayer or a plea. David has not been rescued. God has not heard him. According to verse 21 and this translation. The New Living Testament that I use also makes this misinterpretation. It says, snatch me from the lion's jaws and from the horns of these wild oxen. Verse 21 is still in the form of a prayer or of a plea. 
But here I have the, but listen now to the more, the more accurate translations of this passage, of this verse. Here is our old, steady, faithful King James Version. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Do you notice the difference? Now he says what? Thou hast heard me. It's a statement. It's an affirmation. God has answered. Now, notice the New English translation. It says, rescue me from the mouth of the lion and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Notice again, you have answered me. Not, oh God, answer me, but rather, you have answered me. Notice now the American Standard Version also. Save me from the lion's mouth. Yea, from the horns of the wild oxen, what? Thou hast answered me. This is the turning point in the psalm where David's prayer is answered. David is saying, you have heard me. You finally have responded to my prayer. After much intense prayer then, David and Jesus receives his prayer from God. And the implication is that he has been delivered from death at the last possible moment. But of course, for Jesus, the one who is a greater David than David, is saved not from death, but rather he is saved through death. And that is the final message of the psalm. Not that Jesus was abandoned, but that God saved him through death. So at this point, in verse, from verse 21 on to the end of the psalm, the whole atmosphere of the psalm changes. And if you miss this, you miss the truth of Psalm 22. In verses 1 through 21, we have David's and Jesus' desperate prayer for deliverance. Actually, verse 20. In verses 21 through 32, we have the joyous psalm of praise. Speakers, David and by extension Jesus, was previously dying in agony in the first 20 verses. But now from verse 21 on, they are living in victory. They were formerly surrounded by their enemies, but now they are in the presence of God and his people. In other words, both David's and Jesus' despair is turned into praise. This is the result of the prayer of faith in a faithful God. And so David now turns to publicly praising God for not abandoning him and answering his prayer. Look at verse 22. David praises God now and exhorts the God fearers in Israel to do the same. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. There's a change now. He is no longer in the midst of his enemies. But he is in a praise meeting with his brothers. The whole thing changes. Before he was surrounded by the enemies. All of these vicious enemies who are crying out all kinds of things at him. But now he's in the midst of his brothers. And what are they doing? They're praising God for what he's done. The whole thing changes here. Notice what it says. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him. Because he's an awesome God. All you offspring of Israel. That could be extended to us. And now David explains why he is praising God with his brethren. We could say why 
Jesus is praising God with members of the incredible body of Christ as we did today this morning. Notice what he says. This is the reason now why he praises God. For he has not despised, number one, or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Who is the afflicted? Jesus is the afflicted one. But now he says, God has not despised the afflicted. That's why we should praise him. He has not abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. That's why we should praise him. Notice now, he has not hidden his face from him. But how many times have you heard it again and again says that God turned his face away from Christ? This passage says just the opposite. He has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. When did he hear? When he cried to him. Don't you think Jesus knew that on the cross? Yes, he knew that he heard. He knew that he heard. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. That's Jesus as well. He was the one who was afflicted. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. Jesus was, was seeking God and he's praising him now. May your hearts live forever. In other words, let your worship for God, for his deliverance, be an ongoing, continual thing in our lives. David now foretells the results of Jesus' death and resurrection as portrayed in the psalm. My point is, beloved, it's not only the death of Christ that is portrayed in Psalm 22, but also his glorious resurrection. Notice now verse 27. By the way, this is what Jesus saw that was set before him on the cross. We're going to look at this in a moment. This is the glory Jesus saw that was set before him on the cross. It will be remembered all over the earth. How will that be done? Through the proclamation of the gospel. It will cause many to turn to God this message of the cross and the resurrection. It will cause many to turn to God. Some from every tribe and nation, both rich and poor. Listen to these verses that tell us this, beginning in verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Remember what? What was experienced on the cross and after the cross? Not only the cross, but after the cross. The gospel is not only that Jesus died, but that he was raised again. And Psalm 22 is a perfect example of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. Now remember, Jesus is living this psalm out on the cross. He knew what the psalm said. He knew what the psalm taught. He knew exactly what was happening on the cross with him. He is consciously fulfilling what he knew David prophesied about him. He knows it. It's like having a script written out before in advance, and then you come on as an actor to produce it. That's what Jesus is doing here on the cross. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Now notice this. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Now notice this phrase. Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Who is that? This is not only just speaking of people in general, but even Jesus Christ. He could not keep himself alive, but he knew that God would raise him from the dead. 
Look at verse 30 now of the psalm. And as you go through this, you'll see that the result of his resurrection will be a new seed, a new people, those who can be called God's children. These children, David says, will spread the message far and wide to future generations. Verse 30. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet in unborn that he has done it. Now this is one of the most blessed passages that I studied of truth that I got when I was studying this passage. This last phrase, he has done it. This is actually a prophecy of the Great Commission here. The Great Commission, right here. To proclaim the good news that Jesus died and rose again to bring about the salvation of his people, drawn from every nation of the world. That is what's been encountered here. Now this last phrase, he has done it. Let me go through this really slow. I've been going fast now, but I want to slow up here because this is so good. This last phrase, he has done it, is also an important one to note and fully understand. It can actually literally be translated, it is finished. That's how this verse can actually read in the Hebrew. It is finished. Not only that he has done it, but it is finished. That's how Jesus interpreted on the cross. Remember, it is finished. So David cried out long before that, he has done it. That's the truth of the psalm. This reveals the fantastic truth of how Jesus used the psalm on the cross. The psalm was the divine script Jesus was acting out on the cross. Remember, at the beginning of his three-hour ordeal of paying the spiritual consequences of our sin, he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now the Jewish people knew that he was citing, citing from Psalm 22. In their mind, they automatically filled in the entire psalm. You do this to your children sometime and you teach them. You want to teach them how to count. Okay, now, you want you to count one to ten. And what do you do? You start one, two, three, and then you stop expecting what? The kids to come up with four, five, six, seven. That's exactly what's happening here. Jesus quoted the beginning of Psalm 22, knowing that the people of God will fill in the rest of it and end with, he has done it. It is finished. They knew the script. When Jesus' atoning work was completed, Jesus closed with the ending of the psalm. He said, it is finished. He has done it. He gave up his spirit in death, knowing quite well that death would not and could not hold him. This blessed psalm then, Psalm 22, tells us that Jesus knew that he would rise again from the dead to proclaim his victory to those who would be impacted by it so that they in turn, you and me, could go and can proclaim that news. We should be proclaiming Psalm 22 to those who do not know Jesus Christ. Like David then, Jesus' despair is turned into praise. He knew that God had heard his prayer and would respond to him. All of his crying for help, all of his pleas of desperation, all of that is forgotten in this section of the psalm. His despair is turned into praise. 
His pain and his agony are turned into praise and worship. The writer to the Hebrews does an exposition of this, really, in Hebrews chapter 2. He tells us, for instance, that the brethren of Psalm 22, 22 are those who have been sanctified and is a part of this congregation, congregation of redeemed worshipers. The author, whoever he is of, of Hebrews, actually does an exposition of the work of Christ on the cross using Psalm 22 as his basic te text. Listen to his words. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 2. For it was fitting that he, Jesus, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing, notice now, many sons to glory. That's how he did it on the cross. He was bringing sons to glory. Should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Suffering comes before glory. It has to. But in Jesus' case, he knew that the glory was coming. He had no doubt about that. Notice it says by suffering. It doesn't say by suffering. It says through suffering. Through suffering. Notice it goes on. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And the only time Jesus calls we brothers, those who are members of the body of Christ, was after the resurrection, not before. I will tell of your names to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. It's a worship service that's going on. Jesus knew it would come on the cross. When he was crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that he would be in a praise and worship service with those who were redeemed through his sufferings on the cross. Now, listen to what the author of Hebrews says about the prayer of Jesus. Perhaps not only on the cross, but also in Gethsemane. I'm reading now from Hebrews 5. And actually, we should spend time and do an exposition of these verses, but not now. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. This is a statement of emotional and psychological pain to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard. Notice now. He was heard because of his reverence. I think the King James says his piety, his obedience, his commitment to God. He was heard because of his faith. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. What a powerful passage the scripture is. Jesus knew all of this when he was crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The author of Hebrews puts the entire experience of Christ on the cross in a concise, beautiful comment in chapter 12, verse 2 of Hebrews. Notice what he says. This is after telling us about all those who've gone before us, about the heroes of faith who's gone before, and that we need to be remembered them. He says, will we look to them? Yes, but more importantly, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. When did he demonstrate that? On the cross. Who? Notice now. For the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross. He knew about the joy coming after the cross, the pain of the cross. He knew it, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This encloses, this encapsulates the entire psalm right here. He begins with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But he concludes the psalm with, it is finished. In the words of the song, I'm not sure exactly I'm doing this right, Antoine. He says, I or you or we were on his mind on the cross. That's the glory. That would kept Jesus on the cross. That's what gave him the endurance, the obedience, Stay on the cross as it were. You were on his mind. I was on his mind. That's what it says in this passage. And although he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He knew that those whom he had on his mind, you and me, would be redeemed because of his death, because of his blood shed on the cross. And so he cried at the end of it, it is finished looking forward to the great worship service with his people after the resurrection. So I say then, because of the fact that you and I were on his mind when he was on the cross, he endured the shame, he endured the pain, he endured the agony and feeling of spiritual abandonment by his father. But he did it knowing full well that his father who was always there with him would bring him through death for our redemption and his glory. So I say to you then, let's stand not only gazing at the accursed tree, but also at the open grave, shouting, it is finished. We must glory in that as well as in the cross. Yes, we must proclaim what he did on that tree. But we must do so from a position of triumph and victory, not defeat and gloom. That's why Jesus endured the shame and agony on the cross. He knew that we would join him in making his name known throughout the world. And he wants us to be sure that we pass that message on to our children and their children as well. And before I summarize everything and close out, I want to show you a video came, somebody sent it to me by Facebook this morning, just as I was closing final details on my message. And to me, it gives me a beautiful picture of what Jesus did on the cross. I want you to look at it. I'm going to make a few comments as we go along, and then we'll close out. I trusted me from my mother's womb. But now I'm surrounded by my enemies. Daddy, where are you? Get off the work, come on, pass My life's become this cancer. Daddy, help me, help me. My enemies. can't give up, I won't let down. And though it seems relentless, I can be relentless too. There's none to help. No, you better than you think you are. Show these people. 
I am near death. Why are you so far away from me? Come quickly! Where are you? Where are you, Lord? Where are you? Ravenous wolves are attacking me. I am at the point of death. Help me, Lord, help me. Why are you so far away? Help me, help me. Crying out to you, where are you? Oh, there you are. That's the praise and worship time now. Okay, thank you, Nathan. I thought I'd fit it in beauty. That's the whole story of Psalm 22. So, as we conclude then, let's us look at the suffering that Jesus went through for sure. Not because he couldn't have avoided it, but because he loved us and suffered to rescue us from our sin and deserved punishment. This is what caused him to despise the shame of the cross. He had us, I say, on his mind on the cross. Let's worship him because of that. Let us also look at Jesus' example of patient trusting in God and recalling his faithfulness rather than complaining or doubting in times of trouble. Let us do the same as Jesus and David did in our times of distress and trouble. Let us learn how to pray the prayer of faith even when we are at the end of our rope, our rope, because God is right there behind us. Let us proclaim, though, the message of this psalm to the world. That's the message of Psalm 22. Let us rejoice in the message. Let us proclaim to the world. Let us be faithful in our prayer to the one who always delivers us. And all of God's people said, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you are always there for us. You never leave us or forsake us, even though we feel so at times. Help us to always remain strong in our faith 
but never trusting in our faith, but only the one who is the faithful one. Thank you for the message of Psalm 22 then, and use it to encourage us and to motivate us to proclaim this message to the end of the world. As always, Sila, think and act on these things.